Alrighty, well, we might get started. Uh, hello from Melbourne, Australia. I'm proud to be speaking to you today from the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. It gives me great pride to be able to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional custodians of this land, land to this day which has never been ceded. I'm honoured to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I'd also like to extend that same respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders present at today's event. Before I continue, I will let everybody know that this event will be recorded. So my name is Elise Sutherland. I completed a Bachelor of Science at UWA in 2015. I'm a committee member of the Melbourne Alumni Network and the founder and CEO of Stelect, an award-winning Melbourne-based innovative medical technology company developing the smallest ultrasound sensor for medical imaging to aid clinicians in making more informed decisions when it comes to the diagnosis and treatment of patients in vascular procedures. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to this inaugural Meet the Founders webinar, showcasing some of UWA's alumni entrepreneurs. Being a founder is an exciting and often challenging journey. The highs and the lows of getting a business up and off the ground can be extreme, but also highly rewarding. From capital raising, to getting your first customer, to expanding and hiring your first employee are all challenges that founders face. And I'm sure tonight we're gonna to hear more about this from our four amazing panelists. I wanna think back to my time at UWA and the skills I learned, the network I made and how that has enabled my career and my business to grow. The ability to learn with all sorts of people from different backgrounds, the problem solving skills I learned, the ability to think fast on my feet have all really been essential attributes to allow Stelect to be as successful as it has been over the past five years. The network I made has allowed me to find investors for my business and to create awareness of my business in the community, all really critical elements to a successful startup. In, in fact, a funny story is one of my investors I actually met at the UWA Tavern having a drink on a Friday afternoon after a morning of classes. So back then I, I didn't have a business or a startup, uh, but we met and we connected and we remained in contact. And when I started a business, he was one of the first people to write me a check. So I guess you never know when a connection you make will become a highly valuable one later on in life. And again, here tonight, being a part of the UWA alumni community, I'm able to learn from the lived experiences of the four founders who are going to, their, to share their journeys with us tonight. What their biggest challenges and successes have been, what they wish they did differently when they started, and also what worked really well. As a founder, all the problems you face have most likely been tackled before. So learning from other founders will help not only increase the likelihood of your business surviving, but also to thrive and be the best it can be. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from Julia, Mark, Sherry and Dennis tonight, all founders from different backgrounds, but all doing amazing things and who are making Australia a successful innovation ecosystem. So I'd now like to introduce you to Kieran Hargraves, Associate Director of Alumni and Community Engagement at UWA. Thanks very much, Elise, and welcome everyone. 
Um, it's the tradition of the University of Western Australia to acknowledge the custodians and traditional owners of the land on which our campuses are located. At the main campus, Crawley, the university acknowledges the Wajak Noongar people as its traditional owners of the land on which it's situated. The Wajak Noongar remain the spiritual and cultural custodians of their land and continue to practice their values, languages, beliefs, and knowledge. While innovation and entrepreneurship are becoming synonymous with UWA, IQX, Venture and Bloom, just to name a few, are connecting students, researchers, alumni and industry with the university. And tonight's webinar is the way that we're connecting the alumni with the university and we hope you find it really valuable. But before we get started, I just want to touch on a few brief things. One of the important ways that helps us measure the impact of our alumni engagement, as well as planning for the future, is our alumni attitudinal survey. We use it to benchmark against the previous three years to see how graduates are feeling towards the university and to see if the alumni programming that we're delivering is what uh, meeting what the expectations of the graduates. So look out for um, your invitation to complete the survey in your email in the coming weeks. Um, we're really looking forward to your feedback so we can provide you with the things that you're looking for. We're also looking forward to having some face-to-face -face events again soon. Um, as COVID restrictions are easing and borders are opening, we're hoping to come over to the east coast of Australia in the second half of 2022 and a few overseas stops as well. So looking forward to connecting with alumni there um, in person then. But for now, we hope you enjoy this online experience with our amazing panel of alumni. I'll now turn things over to Dr. Antoine Musu from the Business School, who will guide this evening's conversation. Antoine, over to you. Thank you very much, Kieran. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Um, yes, for me, it is also a privilege and an honor to be here joining this, uh, this group of people today. And uh, what we'll be talking about is probably has to do a lot with the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem in Perth. Um, what I mean by that is that lots of places in the world provide environments that are subject to structural conditions and, and context, of course. This is particularly so for entrepreneurial ecosystems, which directly shape the opportunities and experiences of the enterprise that is practiced within the place. When such a topic is researched, it usually focuses on established places for entrepreneurship that we hear of. And one to note, especially, is we talk a lot about Silicon Valley, a place we look to learn from. However, in reality, the way that business and enterprise unfolds is experienced um, in less established and more marginal ecosystems. For example, Perth is on the periphery of other entrepreneurial ecosystems, the entrepreneurial ecosystems of Melbourne and Sydney. Founders and entrepreneurs have likely experienced entrepreneurial foundations in Perth, as is the case today, and in the University of Western Australia. Recent findings compiled only this January, this last January, suggest that people remain at the heart of anything entrepreneurship. And this is something that is now strongly evident in Perth, where we have seen a dramatic rise in the entrepreneurial endeavor at all levels, that is government and non-government, organizations, academic institutions, and even private enterprises. And today we are going to meet four such UWA graduates who have gone on to become successful founders entrepreneurs. And I, I'd like to welcome, um, I'd, I'd like to welcome um, Mark, uh, Mark Heath, and Julia, Dennis, and Shiri. And I think I'd like to start with this, you know, um, if you can possibly tell us 
uh, a little bit about what you do. And then tell us, like, imagine you are in Winthrop Hall and you have graduated. And how did you feel then? And what do you recall of this occasion from your current perspective of now being a successful founder and entrepreneur? So I'll start with you, Mark. Sure. Thank you, Antoine. Um, quick introduction on me, guys. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Bolly. Uh, we deliver groceries in 15 minutes or less. We started about a year ago. Um, and today, we're about 250 employees uh, servicing about 80 suburbs across Sydney uh, and expanding nationally this year. Um, if I think back to, to graduating uh, and, and what I was thinking about and hoping for then, um, I have to admit, I, I didn't have my, my path planned out by any means. Um, but I do remember kind of thinking, you know, I'm just going to make the, the best choice I possibly can at, at every turn I could. Um, that's what got me through my, my university career. Uh, and that's something that, so till this day, if I look back, uh, has helped me throughout my career beyond the university. Um, so I do feel standing there on that day was the uh, was kind of the, the start of that piece and, it, and it's been validated ever since, which, is, which has been great. Terrific. Thank you, Mark. Julia, how about you? Thanks, Antoine. Um, yes, so I am co-founder of Great Wrap. Uh, we make compostable stretch wrap from food waste. Uh, we started in, uh, I guess, April of last year and we're about to be Australia's largest manufacturer of stretch wraps um, in about six weeks' time. So we're doing pallet wrap and catering wrap and all of those um, horrible plastics but making them from food waste. Um, so, yeah, the moment, <laughs> it's funny. So my background is actually in architecture. I have a, uh, a Bachelor of Environmental Design and I, I studied a Master's of Architecture um, that graduation moment at Winthrop Hall. Um, I'd been working in an architecture studio for the last two years and I was just so excited to get into the world. Um, I think I knew I wanted to start my own business and I was excited to go out and, you know, I think I got into design to solve problems um, and I was excited to build that future that I wanted to see. Um, I just didn't know it was going to be in manufacturing and biotech. I think I thought it was going to be in design. So in, in a way, I've ended up exactly where I should have been, but I had no idea where it, where that path would take me. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you very much, Julia. And Dennis, how about you? So for me, oh, firstly, my name's Dennis Savage. I'm the founder of Savage Motorcycles and we're an e-mobility brand. Um, and one of the first products we bring to market is a high-performance electric motorcycle. And if all goes well, we'll start deliveries by the end of this year. Um, yeah, in terms of graduating, for me, uh, I did a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering and it was... I think kind of a checkbox. Like I knew it was just a stepping stone for where I wanted to get to. And I remember thinking, oh, like just doing this big sigh of relief and going, oh, thank God that's over. I can finally get started. Um, and I was just super excited about, yeah, getting into the workforce and start building bikes. So for you, it was a little bit like you knew what you wanted to do. I've, I've been fortunate and, and cursed with that for a long time, yes. That's good. Thank you very much. Sherry, yeah. tell us about 
your story. So, hi everyone, my name is Sherry and I'm the founder of Subtle Nations. So our mission is to make the tech education system and network affordable and accessible around the world. And um, um, yeah, so in terms of graduating after, because I, I, I got a degree in chemistry, so it's not software or tech related stuff. So I actually teach myself programming. And then um, it's super helpful to have a degree in chemistry because it's helpful with my I'm thinking like team members, those kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, I never know I'll become an entrepreneur. And so, yeah, just um, just have no idea what's going on at first and just keep going, keep um, doing stuff. And then now here I am. So yeah, that's my journey. How long ago did you start, Chiri? Um, I started to learn programming five or six years ago. Yeah. after I graduated, yeah. And then um, I spent a year learning programming from YouTube and online courses. And then I got a job after that as a software engineer. And then I quit my job last year due to COVID. And then I started my own business. Yeah. Excellent. So we have four very diverse people, I think, um, here who have, I'm sure they have their particular story about things. And uh, I think I'd like to start with Mark. Um, Mark, what was the motivation you had for making the choice that you have? And what is it that you are seeking from this entrepreneurial career path? Sure. Um, I think the, the motivation for me, uh, you know, I, I started my career in investment banking um, and I didn't find it that fulfilling to be fair. Um, but the motivation for me to leave that and, and to go into the startup world uh, was to work on stuff that I actually cared about as a customer. Um, so when I left banking and I, I moved to Uber and then subsequently uh, into the sort of dark kitchen space and now volley and grocery delivery, each time it's been to build something that I personally find to be a, a problem for me that I'm solving. Um, and each time I'm helping or, or uh, building something that if it disappeared tomorrow, I would have to significantly change my life. Um, so I think for me, in terms of getting into this space, it was finding intrinsic motivation in, you know, at nighttime, I'm a customer of my own business. And in the day, I can fix things that I find as issues the night before. Um, and going forward, uh, really to keep that motivation is just to keep building stuff that I want to use. And if I want to use it and market testing says other people do, there's probably a business there, um, which I find quite sort of gets you out of bed in the morning on a Monday. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So if I were to ask you like a tiny question, right? With sure. a tiny answer. Why is it food? Like what put you into, did you acknowledge there's a problem? Did you acknowledge there's something you could do to solve a big problem? What was it? Yeah. Um, so for Volley specifically, we do food right now. Um, we've just added alcohol to our range as well. Um, but overall, we deliver stuff really, really quickly. It doesn't have to just be food. So, yes, we did identify a problem, and that was having to go and waste time on chores, and we wanted yeah. to eliminate that. Excellent. Very good. Um, Okay, let me turn to Julia for a moment. And uh, 
because Julia sounded quite passionate about the space that she's in. So Julia, how important is this entrepreneurial space for you? And how do you explain this endeavor? Like, how do you explain what motivated you so strongly to go there? And what are some of the things you would like to happen for the community? What are the things? I, some yeah, for sure. Um, it's a big, big question there. I think um, probably similarly to Mark, I mean, um, you know, the product that we manufacture is a product I was seeing a lot of in my previous career. And I was frustrated by the fact that it still existed in its form. Um, you know, it's sort of, we've developed all these incredible technologies, yet still we're making plastic from petroleum. And for me, it felt really frustrating that we'd be still doing that at this stage of development that we're at when the world is kind of burning. Um, and I knew like everyone's reliant on, on this sort of material. And I could see that, or like we could both see that there was the material technology existing, a problem existing, but no one sort of connecting the dots. Um, and I think I like also knew that we were probably good at being the connector of like, I'm probably not going to be able to lead a research team, but I can connect the right people to solve a problem and I can build a building that exists and is a big thing like a factory. So it just felt like a problem for me to solve. Um, and yeah, it's really rewarding. I feel like in design, I thought that by designing a, the most beautiful school you could possibly you could inspire minds to create like I guess you know a better world but in fact it can just be a really simple product that people use in their home and a change that is really accessible and that's a really powerful thing to be able to do um, so I think that's why um, I, I love getting out of bed in the morning and um, you know it doesn't need to be crazily complicated but it's yeah yeah Am amongst other things Julia it's like I uh, you identified the space, like, and you said 150,000 tons mm. going into landfills each year. Would you say that that was a trigger in its own right to do what you are specifically doing? Or was it something more generic that you chose? Like, yeah. more, that there's a market for it, if you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, look, for me, it was probably really personal. I think it was uh, I would spend hours and hours uh, looking at the materials I was using to specify in my sort of low, low carbon embodied buildings. Um, you know, I choose the most sustainable timber and then see that product arrive on site wrapped in this pallet wrap. And then we started to do a little bit more digging and realize just how much was going into landfill. And I could see this like huge gap. <laughs> it was yeah. like, so what's, what's the point of thinking in this way in the front end and, and back end, but not in the middle? Um, and obviously freight is a huge global sort of, you know, it's it's crucial to the world. So I think it was quite personal um, initially, initially for sure. And then, you know, uh, Jordi and I started seeing the problem existing all around. And that's when we realised this could also be a financially rewarding pursuit as well, which um, I think is actually really critical if you're going to pursue sustainability. Like it's, yeah, has to make sense. <laughs> Very good. Um, let me go to Dennis, turn to Dennis. Dennis, you have built an ambition around your chosen field of study. What do you look for when building a team of people around you? How, and how, do you, how would, do you go about this? What, and what do you do to empower those people around you to solve any work-related issues that they come across during their work? Okay. Um, 
So I think there's kind of two questions there. One is attracting talent. And then the second is empowering them or, or cultivating that, the team that you want to have, right? So I think we've been super lucky with recruitment because we do have if I don't say so myself, a pretty cool product and a pretty cool business. Like it's really exciting. You know, it's new technology. Um, you know, we have complete freedom in design in business processes. And so um, one of the things that attracts talent is not just the product we're building, but that freedom in the business to do whatever and set the procedures yourself gives, doesn't limit very talented people. So I think what happens, you know, in, in normal, larger, uh, older organizations is they have these historic processes that have been set. And then you get this hyper-talented young person whose brain might work a thousand times faster than these processes allow them to think. Um, and I've literally seen, you know, the excitement in our team when they go, oh yeah, I can just make that call. And then I explain what it was like for me at Ford at times, you know, and all the bureaucracy and the layers of approval you've got to go through, it's it's stifling and it's really, um, it's really challenging at times. Um, in terms of cultivating that team and, and empowering them to make decisions, I think that that's been interesting. Um, and more so recently now that I've started delegating you know paying for invoices before as a small business you do everything yourself right and we haven't really had a budget to have an accounts person to, to pay all the invoices and process everything so i've just been doing it myself and we've had a bookkeeper and recently um i found that almost a day a week i was just paying invoices so then we got a platform invited everyone to us said right guys now you pay for your own invoices and once it's paid you do this um, and they would come to me and go, oh, can I pay for this $500 invoice? Whatever, I'm like, don't even ask me anymore. Like, just, just pay it. So I think that, yeah, formally that's called delegation of authority, I think. I could be wrong on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, that, that paradigm shift and um, encouragement to, to just make decisions um, and making sure that, if they are making a decision that they're fully aware as to how they came to that conclusion, why they made that decision. If I ask them about it, they need to be able to respond pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of building in our, in our business. And it's really awesome to see that. So um, yeah, I think to do that, it's just support and enabling them to do that. Yeah. You are in a pretty kind of unique space for want of a better description. Right, yeah. and um, it intrigues me a little bit, and like I need to ask. And I, you know, I think about your product, and I think of speed and fast, and you know, switched on and that sort of thing. Do you see that having kind of an influence on the talent that express an interest to work with you? Like, is that something you look for? That that their own uh, characterizations are congruent with what you're doing, or as in the ability like they're fast about doing things you know and not necessarily um they have the same they're congruent their thinking is aligned with yeah. the product that you are making. Oh, definitely. i think um, if people 
uh, haven't heard of this particular book, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's called True North. And it's just about aligning, you know, individual interests and passions with the overall business direction and finding the right role for that person. And, and once you do that, then it's just about reassuring them that mistakes are okay if they yeah. even happen at all. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's that's probably I, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. It, I'm sure it's like it would be exciting for an individual to be part of that environment where everything goes, goes, goes as well. It, so, like our, our CMO came over from Harley, um, and yeah, the the pace difference is completely different. Um, you know, I think, but you know, if if that person has the right personality characteristics they'll adapt, yeah, that's, they'll adapt yeah. and they will enjoy the freedom like our content creator isn't just a content creator there are he's our photographer videographer social media scheduler and all this stuff and he loves every single part of that job yeah. um but he's he, immersed. he started he's immersed. With as a grad sorry go on he's immersed in it He's a and he's he's a he's been a bike rider since he was 16. His dad rides bikes, you know, it's a super passionate, just the, the perfect person for that job. So and um uh he was talking to Ali, our CMO, and was like, Oh, you know, what's it like at other companies? Because this is his first job technically. And once she explained that that doesn't really exist, you know, in any other businesses, especially where it aligns with his passion um he kind of understood you know the opportunity that someone like him where he the, the turnaround that he produces things in is just incredible um, so yeah makes just finding the right people makes a lot of sense thank you dennis let me turn to sherry now sherry um you know having success being successful is what you know more more than likely is something that is hard driven besides the physical effort we put into it and the energy. And it's a great reward. It is a great reward, I can see that. In your case, can you explain what this might look like in the space that you are working in? Like, how would you translate the success? What, what are those factors that create this reward for you? Both from a business sense and also personally, of course. Yep, so I think, Success means a lot of things to many people, to, um, to be wealthy, to be rich, to be healthy, to, um, to be able to change the environment. And then um, for me, that would be to be able to inspire and influence people and be able to watch them to become successful in life just because of you. Um, so I have, a, I have an IG account where I share information about my self-taught journey about um, resources to learn about programming and stuff. I share a lot of that with people. And then like mostly every day people would come to me and ask me about like, um, is there any free resources to learn programming? Like um, how can I become a self-taught programmer? Cause I can't afford, you know, like the fee, like the fee for bootcamp and et cetera. And then um, I would teach them about like how to, how, like what resources they can use and um, those kind of, um, um, how to get there. And then after a few months of teaching them, guiding them, and then they would come and tell me that they got a job as a software engineer at some firm, or like um, they got a job as a data analyst 
at some farm. So it just kind of, it feels great to see people become successful in life just because you help them a little bit. Yeah, I think um, that's what uh, really rewarding to me to be able to change someone else's life, um, just be part of their life for a little bit and then um, watch them to become successful. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, if I may kind of interpret it this way, it's like mm -hmm. having these people who uh, voluntarily take an interest and you're giving it some shape for them. You're giving it shape. And yes. They're going out and doing something with it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so they the started from their development is probably your, your reward in this. Yeah. 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 So they started from um, from knowing nothing about programming, and then um, after a few months of continuing learning, and then I'll guide them, and then um, in the end they will um, become successful. I've been mean, these amazing things ever. And and they they would have would I be right in saying in saying that they would have kind of uh, the same kind of self-interest you had or self, you know, to be self-taught? Would, would they have been similar to you in character? Uh, I think uh, in, in the beginning, they wouldn't have that because in order to become a self-taught programmer, you need a strong discipline. You need to be like super disciplined because you have to find the resources by yourself. You have to find everything to learn by yourself. But Initially, they wouldn't have that because, um, yeah, they just have no idea. So they just, come, they just come and ask me. So I would just tell them that you guys have to be disciplined and then have to know what you're doing now, like all those kind of things. And then, yeah. So, so. That is very interesting, uh, extremely interesting, because you touched on a, something that uh, I'm sure that a lot of people who do the same would be thinking about. So I, I might even address my next question to the four panelists, all right? To, to Mark, to Julia, to Dennis, and to you, Sherry, too. And I think we all understand how important discipline is as a function, all right? Because it's really, it's what makes us a little bit resilient, right? When we get challenged with something. But what is it that you do about this, this, uh, this kind of discipline? You know, do you sacrifice anything? And if you, if you do, what is it? What are those things that you sacrifice? Kind of what are what are the sort of risks that you would that would challenge you, right? In in working with with these different people, and I'm sure that Mark would have his own, and Julia, and Dennis, and you as well, Shiri. So maybe Mark can start by answering that. Sure. Um, it's it's interesting. The the discipline piece has to be balanced. Right. Um, we don't want a situation where uh, we sort of outlaw uh, creativity and spontaneity, yeah, spontaneity in the in the business as well. Um, we have gone through a, a period of hyper growth the last year, uh, now with a couple of hundred people in the business, um, and we have at times encouraged this uh, go hell for leather growth mindset. Um, which is really, really interesting, but it can also lead to uh, side effects, right? We got very undisciplined in the way we communicate within the business internally. And so now we're sitting down and focusing on how do we make sure we grow incredibly quickly, but also ensure that the guys across all of the teams 
know and can access all of the relevant information they need to on the fly um, whilst it's growing incredibly quickly. So, so for me, it's just, it's finding that balance, which I don't think you can ever quite strike, but you've got to keep chasing. That's fantastic, it's good. Um, I'd just like to take a, just a few seconds to tell, to remind the audience to, to prepare any questions that they would like to ask the panel. Um, you may do this like on your Q&A tab uh, in your system. Um, uh, so if you can give some thought to that, that will be good. In the meantime, I, I'd like to go to you, Julia. Um, and what are those things like, you know, that risks and sacrifices that you make? Sure, like, um, you know, I guess the dangers of discipline almost in a way, is that sort of the question? Yes, that's right. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think um, for us, I mean, it's it's so similar to Mark's answer. Again, it relates to culture. Um, I think discipline is really important when you're a founder because you need to have discipline um, in the fact that you need to get up every day and do your job. You need to be disciplined um, to not think about your job when you go to bed. And that's also a form of discipline as well. Um, I think the, the risks there are that um, you can create a culture that is too driven by the wrong things. So for us, um, you know, we really want to make, I mean, I've had a lot of amazing jobs, but also jobs that have been driven by things that weren't actually important to me as, as a graduate architect, for example. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest danger. I think if you can get too disciplined, you can lose sight of what actually makes your team happy and motivated and want to come to the, their job and do the best best um, best work they can. So yeah, again, it, it's balance. I mean, like for us, we live, we don't live in the city anymore. We've moved down to the coast. <laughs> we go for a lot of ocean walks and um, our team's a lot like that as well. So um, yeah, having, having time away from the desk is important, but hard to come by for sure. Do you think that that you know, like, sort of, it transcends to the people you work with as well? In your case, or not? That sense of discipline does it transcend to them? Does it make them more kind of uh, organized or, or yeah, wanting to do the right thing? Correct. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, uh, for sure, for sure. I think they know how important what we're working on is for the big picture uh, we like we try to make it as fun as possible and I think everyone loves working with us um, yeah, but, but for sure I mean it's hard, hard not to have um, your energy rub off on your team when you're in a I guess leadership position um, excellent yeah Dennis what about in your situation um, so yeah when I was thinking about the, the question, I think that I've kind of developed like a little bit of a philosophy that I, or an analogy rather, um, that I articulate to the team because, um, you know, some of our team members have been in the business for a couple of years. Some have been in there for shorter and I've been chipping away for eight, right? So I kind of noticed at some stage that when a problem came up, um, we had very different reactions to that problem. You know, things that I wouldn't see as a very big deal and we would just figure out a way around, you know, someone else is pretty much in tears, right? Yeah. Um, and I kind of 
started to develop the analogy that that resilience and being resilient in a startup where things are constantly going wrong is like a muscle right and um, the first time a hurdle comes up it's like the end of the world and then you eventually get over that and then you know something else will happen it'll be a little bit worse and you'll get over that I think the unfortunate people um, you know might experience a really big hurdle early on before their resilience muscle is very strong um, and I think that's the point at which people at times would quit because it's too hard um, I think in reality there's there's always a way around it if, if you if your business model isn't fundamentally flawed there's there's always a way to overcome problems I think um, and it's just a matter of how difficult it might be and um, so I guess, yeah, if there was anything I was going to share tonight, it's that resilience is a muscle and yeah. when you have a hurdle, like, um, you've got to be almost like grateful for that hurdle because you have no control over as to when you can train that muscle. It's externally driven. And if it happens to you, it's like this opportunity to practice patience and resilience. And it's like, you've got to be like grateful for it almost because the next time you have that hurdle will be a piece of cake. And yeah, that's right. That's kind of helped you. Yeah. So it's good. That's good. Yeah. And Sherry, do you have anything to add to this? Um, I'm still new to this entrepreneurial thing, so I would uh, share things about um, things about as a new entrepreneur. So I think it's important to not just be disciplined in your business, but also your health and your well-being and your life as well. So um, you don't forget to take care of yourself. Um, uh, exercise, working out, and take care of your um, your, um, your happiness as well, because it's a stressful journey to become an entrepreneur. And then, excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I still have spirit, a lot to learn right? from everyone here. It's the spirit. It's the spirit. Yeah, that's yeah. magnificent. So we've got some very good questions from the panel, and perhaps um, I would like to direct this one to you, Julia, first, but. Um, you know, it says this, absolutely love your business. I am trying to start a business called EcoPack to sell eco-wrap honeycomb stretch box dispensers to, to with a mission to be bubble wrap free. How do you use your marketing of people's resources effectively to increase awareness of your product and brand? <laughs> awesome, um, amazing question. Thank you, very specific too. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting one, I mean, for us, Marketing. That is from Isabelle. Uh, Isabelle, Isabel, thank you for the um, question. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for us, our marketing team is, um, there's two of us, or well, two and a half, I guess, myself and two others. Um, it's been very much uh, focused on developing word of mouth. I think, um, you know, if you've got a story that you can tell that is meaningful, like the problem you're trying to solve, people really resonate towards that. I mean, we started our business um, in a time where there wasn't a lot of good news around. There weren't a lot of solutions. I think people um, are used to hearing about problems, but not having actual ways that they can help solve those problems. So I think if you give a give people an action that's easy, um, yeah. You know, like that, that's a really, really helpful way of, of describing what you're trying to do. And that's really worked for us. Um, you know, we're not, we're not making people think a different way or change their behaviors. We're trying to make it easy for them to do a good thing. And it sounds like you're um, 
trying to do the same. And so I'd suggest thinking about it in that way. You know, you don't actually, you're not trying to sell people something. It's like you're trying to teach them that there are other solutions for the same thing that they're already doing. Excellent. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've got another question here. And I may perhaps direct this to a couple of you, perhaps Dennis and Mark, okay? And the question is, why do so many startups fail? Do you wanna go first, Mark? Yeah, I can take it. Um, I, think, I mean, there's obviously a million reasons why, um, but I think, if you really zoom out, the reality is the point of being a startup is doing something that no one's ever done before, right? Otherwise, you know, a big, boring business would just add it as a, as a business unit. Um, and so inherently in doing something no one's ever done before, you're going to miss a few times before you really find the mark. Um, and that's really a learning process for the market, uh, the industry you might be in, and the entrepreneur that's sort of behind the driving force of each of those startups. So yeah, a million reasons, but all of them lead to the same place, which is was growth and, and uh, eventually success. Over to you, Dennis. Dennis, what do you think? A bit of a different answer, but they're along the same lines. And I think if you zoom out again, at the end of the day, like just at a very fundamental basic level, it's cash the business no longer has cash to operate. And it's like, you can't get investors, means you can't get cash. You can't get customers, you can't generate revenue, you can't get investors, can't get cash. You've overspent on marketing and not product if that's your business. All right, you've burnt your cash, now you can't pay payroll. Um, you've run out of money and you no longer have a big enough personal bank account to cover payroll for however many months you need to cover it for until the next lot of cash comes in. Yeah. So I think um, being able to manage cash very, very carefully and being very frugal with how you spend it in the early days is one of the most important skills that you, you can so develop. So it's a question that is can generally be answered by having a good process, right? Process, yes, and that process is have a spreadsheet and literally account for every cent. Yeah, being your account. Yeah. yeah, good. I have a question for Mark here. Um, and it says, Mark, with your business, how are you able to connect with the kitchens and grocery stores to trust your new business that sends food to the Sydney suburbs? Did you have to go door knocking, emailing? How did you do it? Sure. Um, so my, my current business, Volley, we actually, uh, we are the grocery store. So we hold all of the inventory ourselves. Um, and so instead of going door knocking on Woolworths and Coles, uh, we went door knocking on every supplier we could get our hands on. Um, and so quite literally, it's a big spreadsheet of every single product that could be in a Woolworths and Coles. Uh, we cut it down to what we wanted to stock. We found alternate suppliers and sat on the phones for many, many days um, and kind of told our story and what we were trying to build. Um, and, you know, the one of the things you find when you go through a process like that is there are a lot of people out there willing to help you in your entrepreneurial journey. Um, and it, it's easy to assume that no one else really wants to give you a hand, but if you tell your story and people are interested, they will really dig deep. 
Um, and so now we have 50 to 60 suppliers uh, from all over the country that we interface with directly and we uh, deliver their groceries directly from them. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. So, um, uh, you know, we talk, uh, there's an anonymous attendee here, but we say we are in the start, there are cash constraints, all right? So how do you develop? How do you balance developing the business product or service further versus focusing on sales and growth? No sleep. It's like, uh, what is, um, you know, I guess the question really says like, when do I focus on uh, selling my products? And when do I follow, uh, focus on growing my business? It's not necessarily the same equation. I might be able to provide some perspective here. Um, for background, we've raised a couple of rounds of funding over the last year. Um, and it, the answer I think I've come to is it depends on your business. Um, if you have a capital intensive business, uh, such as the one that I'm, I'm in at the moment, um, you might have to raise before you build anything. And so we actually started by raising, build a pitch deck. We went out and raised money before we had even delivered a grocery. Um, so uh, in that case, you needed to start at that point. Um, of course, I've seen others out there uh, start and be able to bootstrap. A lot of my friends uh, that are in business are, are currently bootstrapping and don't intend to take any time financing whatsoever because they can get to revenue and not have to invest cash to get there. So it's really business dependent and yeah. industry dependent. Yeah, this is this is a good follow-on question, which I'd like someone to answer. Um, you know, the question is, how did you finance your your startup, right, early on? And I know that you have had, you know, various rounds of funding, successful and all that. But let's talk about the seed. You know, like really starting out before you go into expansion or anything like that. So. Um, how did you go about the seed, getting that initial injection to go? I think Julia mentioned some, something about someone. She had met out of the blue and then went out and boom, right? <laughs> so yeah, very, some of your experiences with that very, initial seed. Very much so. Um, yeah, so similarly, we've done uh, sort of multiple investment rounds now. I think the funnest part about the seed round raise is that um you know we've learned now that actually investors at the seed point are hello sorry my headphones just went off oh i see okay <laughs> you still hear me yep um cool sweet um so yeah i think in the seed round like people are investing in your vision and you as a person because you haven't actually had an opportunity to business yet so they invest in you and what yeah. you are projecting, not necessarily in your business. Well, yeah, they see merit in the business and they see that you're ambitious enough to try and go for it. So it's a Make really it work. Um, okay. exciting, exciting point. And I think, um, I mean, you know, beyond that, when you have actually executed on that plan, that also is incredibly yes. exciting because you're able to, to show that. Let, you can... me, let me ask Sherry what she thinks. So, Sherry, how, how did you go about your seed, like, to start off? You may so, not have required a great amount of money. I don't know. Yep. So I haven't started to apply for any seed yet because I'm 
yes, I say I'm still new. I'm trying to apply for some. Uh, I actually tried to apply for Y Combinator. I'm not sure if I'll get it or not, but I'm just doing my best and try it out. And then, um, yeah, for at the moment, everyone is working um, for free. I've, I've got teams like all over the world. And then um, we just build things first and then, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes in the future. And then we'll definitely, um, yeah. Excellent, very good. Julia, I have another question for you from uh, Moray. And um, the question is, how did you go about finding the necessary technical expertise to translate your dreams into reality? Another great question. Um, yes, so we have partnered with, um, I, I said I wouldn't say this in this um, conversation, but we, we've partnered with Monash University um, with the chemical engineering department there. We've been working with them for about um, 18 months to two years to develop a part of our technology process. We're also working with about three other um, contractors who have spent the last, you know, 20 years scaling up um, biopolymers from lab to commercial scale. So uh, for us, it was very much about starting the conversations and really like, I guess, taking the knowledge that we had and, and vetting that and then finding the, the best people who have done this before in, a, in order to de-risk um, the manufacturing process. Uh, I think if we were, you know, to go out and do it ourselves, there'd be a lot of um, capital, <laughs> capital intensive mistakes that we can avoid by seeking the experts for every niche part of the process that we're doing because it is incredibly specific. Um, so, yeah, just if you're thinking about a technical uh, solution, definitely um, find those papers and see who's written them and just try and have a chat and everything sort of kicks off from there for sure. Just looking for that expertise, which is yeah, starting, yeah. Right? when you don't know something specific about a business. Mm. And, you know, in saying that, and I suppose I can also pose this to everyone, everyone on, the, on the panel, it's like, how important is it to recognize that point where you need expertise, where you actually do not know how to do this? <laughs> We try and stretch it as much as we can. But how, what would you tell people who are listening here, like how to look at that point where we say, hey, you need expertise, right? I go chime in if you like. Um, so when we started out, like I just finished my Bachelor of Engineering and they don't really cover like how to develop a motorcycle in that or anything too automotive um and like we've we've been learning how to do it ourselves for like the better part of eight years um and there's still probably a ton of stuff we don't know but we've come a long way so um the, like technically um reach out to people over linkedin like don't be afraid to network and be like hey i'm trying to do this are you willing to spare half an hour be super nice to them, pick their brains as much as you can, take as many notes as you can, um, Google books. Um, and then the, one of the best ways to learn is try it, test it, break it, start again. You know, and that can, that applies to software, applies to hardware. Um, anyways, that's how we've learned. Yeah. And uh, Mark, do you have something to add to this? Yeah, um, and Dennis is, is a 
an interesting experience because it's hardware and software and quite literally if you don't have the experience that bike doesn't run right it's it's a it's a hell of a challenge ours is in a lot of ways reinventing something that exists um you know you currently go to the grocery store and you can even get things delivered from bullies and coals um so for us it was balancing experience um so things like supply chain for example there's a lot of theory and knowledge out there that you can lever and you shouldn't reinvent the wheel with ensuring that we didn't just repeat the mistakes that had happened by the existing players. So quite literally reinventing the wheel. Um, so in some cases you need to draw in that experience. In other cases you say, never worked in a grocery store, but let's see if we can recreate what we think it looks like and then iterate on that. Um, and that can sometimes be the best way. Yeah. So I'd like to ask this question, last question to the four panelists, actually. Um, if you had to give kind of each one of you one point of advice, okay, to someone who aspires to, um, to become a founder, let me say to become a founder and not an entrepreneur at this stage, but a founder of something, what would that advice be? Just like one point, it's like, uh what i know it requires a lot of self-awareness right knowing yourself but what would from your own experience what would that one thing be that you tell somebody do something that people will laugh at it should be sufficiently crazy that people have a little giggle like yeah. you're re reinventing that are you that's you're probably doing the right thing to take yourself a little bit lightly, I guess, as well, right? What you yeah. say. It's like persevere, but don't take yourself too seriously. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dennis? What would you say to somebody? Um, do your best to try and monetize something you're passionate about, um, if you can, because that is pull motivation not push motivation and it's like there have been times where all logic um indicated i should probably give up and i just felt like i was giving up on myself and i just couldn't do that and it it pulled me through the the really really hard times that we've had um so if you can if you're fortunate enough find what you're passionate about and try and monetize it somehow so if i were to take your words and say and translate them into love it enough that you, whatever happens, you never give up on that effort. Turn it into something fruitful, even if it doesn't work in the same way as you start, as you did. Yeah, it's like, it, it's almost unhealthy. Like it becomes an obsession. Um, yeah. You go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it, you can't wait to, you know, get up the next day and keep going. So it it's, makes it really fun. Okay. Um, Sherry, have you got one point to tell somebody? You just didn't, like you love what you do. I'm sure you love what you do. You're very passionate about what you do. So yeah. what do you tell one of us, your aspiring people? Um, I would say build your marketing first. If you can build a community, just build your marketing first. Don't build your product first because just test the market first. Because once you have built your product and no one is using that, that's a waste. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort to build a product. So I would say work on your marketing first. Yeah. Excellent. Julia, any last minute thoughts? 
Yeah, um, they were all amazing points. I think my biggest piece of advice, and it's almost like anti-advice, uh, if you want to become a founder, is um, you'll notice the minute you say you're a founder, you get a lot of advice uh, all at once. Um, and <laughs> the biggest tip from that I've ever got is that, you know, no one knows your business better than you do. So be prepared to kind of like trust yourself and hear a lot of advice and maybe go, okay, that's great, but not for me right now and be okay with that. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. We've got like 30 seconds left. So I'd like to wholeheartedly thank you all for your contribution. Um, I think that, uh, you know, what I say, what I take away from this is like the nature of perseverance in whatever we do, loving, um, you, you've all shown love for what you do, right? You've all worked hard to get to the places where you were. You've all recognized that when you need help, you go and look for it, all right? And it is out there. You just have to look for it. There's no such thing as no one can help you, right? And uh, if you believe strong enough in yourself, you will find other people that help you too, right? So would I be right in saying those closing words from like the four of you? Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, even for me, to have had this opportunity to be speaking with you. Um, I would continue to be interested in your progress, right? And how you move things forward. And I hope we have an opportunity to reassemble this group. And with that, I say goodbye to everyone and thank you to all the people who have attended uh, this event. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for attending and, and thank you to our panelists for their insights this evening. It's been really insightful. I think it was, it was really interesting to see that what everyone had in common was a real passion for the problem they're trying to solve. Um, and, and I think that kind of speaks volumes uh, for the founders that we have today. I also wanted to let everybody know that we do have an event in Melbourne on Wednesday, the 18th of May. So if you are located in Melbourne, please keep an eye out for that event and, and you'll be hearing more about it soon. Uh, so thank you again, have a great evening and a recording will be made available after the event. So thank you so much and thank you to our panelists.